Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. And I also welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise and the sweet congregation of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. Come and see us. Go to gospel-of-grace.com and learn more about us. Frequently asked questions, archived messages, church locator. We'd love for you to avail yourself of that resource. And we're about to uh, enter into the subject of rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to deal with that uh, in this couple of messages. And we hope that after this hymn, you will remain with us and learn today with us from the word of God. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turned in my Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 16, a wonderful piece of scriptural spirit-inspired advice that the Apostle Paul gave to the preacher Timothy, uh, advice that would do him well in all of his realms of service, especially under the church at Ephesus. We read 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. What I want to focus on in this uh, series of messages is rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice he did not say rightly dividing truth from untruth, speaking of the word of God, because there is no untruth in the word of God. But he is commanded to study, to show himself approved, not unto men, although that is worthy, but ultimately we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To rightly divide literally means to make a straight cut. 
And here, Paul was speaking from experience because his secular um, profession was a tent maker. And if he did not make right cuts, straight cuts, if he did not uh, put the incision of the material just in the right places, then it would make for an ill-fitting tent. And I'm afraid that so many realms of Christendom today, so many churches, so many groups, they fail to rightly divide the word of truth and their house is ill-fitting. It's full of leaks, it's full of holes, it's full of drafts, and it does not fulfill that for which it is intended. My friends, the church of God should seek to rightly divide the word of truth. Truth means very much. Truth is concrete. Truth is real. Truth is eternal. And we should be seeking it out. We should be uh, seeking to worship God who seeketh him to worship him in spirit and in truth. So here, as we focus on rightly dividing the word of truth, we also need to realize that sometimes that takes shunning some things, rejecting some things. Not everything in the Christian world is right. Not everything that people claim is of the Bible is true because it's not rightly divided and properly applied. He said, but shun profane and vain babblings. Well, what's the danger in them? He says, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Friends, people have gotten away from the notion of absolute truth. And they've gotten away from the notion that that absolute truth is found and housed in an inerrant word of God. And the more distant we become to that uh, sound notion, friends, I think you can look around and you can see the fruit that it has borne, that we have uh, people claiming the name of Christ that are teaching some of the most ungodly, the most God dishonoring, the most blasphemous, the most divisive uh, doctrines of men that can be found. And they are housing it and trying to label it that it is according to the word of God. So therefore, it behooves us to rightly divide the word of truth, to try to get our heads straight, to try to get ourselves and our thinking in line with the word of God and not try to drag the word of God to our way of thinking, our preconceived notions, our prejudices. No, my friends, let us rightly divide the word of truth. To explain this notion, uh, we need to think about the English language and the words that we use in our common vernacular day after day. In the English language, you can have one word spelled exactly the same, pronounced exactly the same, but yet it has vastly different meanings. And so therefore, we must rightly divide. A good example is the word pool. And I've used this example before. You may have heard me use it before here on the Gospel of Grace broadcast. Pool, P-O-O-L. Now, you can have a pool that is a collection of water. You can have a pool that is involving betting on football or baseball games or whatever the case may be. Uh, you have a pool that involves driving or traveling, people that pool together, they make a carpool uh, to save uh, gas and to, uh, you know, save on having to drive their own vehicles. And you can have pool that is a game. Uh, billiards, in other words, it is a, a game that is played by people using sticks and balls. So if you hear someone, if you're in a conversation with someone, they say, I love a pool. Well, you have to rightly divide that. I mean, if it's out of context and you don't have context in which to uh, determine and interpret what they're saying, when they say, I love a pool, they could mean a big hole in the ground with water in it. Or they could say, I love a pool, meaning I love to take part in a betting pool to see who's going to win the Super Bowl. 
or they may be saying, I love a pool, meaning I love to save energy and save wear and tear on my vehicles by sharing traveling time and expenses and uh, such with other drivers, okay? Maybe you're in a conversation and someone says, she got trapped in a pool. Well, again, if you don't have context and you don't rightly divide it, if you don't properly interpret that with context, then you'll be as confused as a football bat or your thinking will be crooked as a tub of guts. If someone said she got trapped in a pool, does that mean that she drowned in a swimming pool? Does that mean she got obligated to a betting pool and has already put money in it and can't get money out and she's changed her mind? It doesn't mean she got trapped in a pool. It means that she got trapped in an association with a bunch of busybody mamas and she can't stand to be trapped up in the car with them, but they've already uh, you know, made this obligation and she's caught up in it. Okay, if, if you heard someone say, his pool game was a hit. Well, does that mean that uh, was he playing Marco Polo at the local swimming pool and it was very popular? Uh, when it said his pool game was a hit. Uh, does it mean that uh, down at the local pub, he put together the betting uh, game uh, to, to try to win money? Or was he talking about um, was he talking about billiards? His pool game was a hit, that he was chalking up the cue and hitting a ball with a cue ball. Again, uh, it may sound elementary, but unfortunately, many people in Christendom today have lost sight of elementary concepts when it comes to studying and interpreting the Word of God. So let us not fall into that trap. Now, I'd like to, for us to go to the Bible and look at uh, a few passages of Scripture, some examples of why you must, must, must uh, rightly divide the word of truth. That is to look at it in context and really see what the meaning is. We'll go to 2 Kings chapter 17. And the setting of 2 Kings chapter 17 is that the Assyrians are disturbed, the ones who have been transplanted into uh, Israel. Uh, after the Assyrian conquest, and they're disturbed because the people don't like them, and uh, wild beasts and lions are coming out and devouring them, and they find out that the reason being is that their ways and their words are offensive to the Jehovah God. So that's the setting. We pick up in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 28. And again, let me add this, that uh, the king determined that one of the priests that were taken to Assyria uh, in the... Uh, in the captivity that they were to take that priest and return him to Israel. And that priest who was familiar with the Israelites way and the worship of their God was to teach them more perfectly, the Assyrians in that land, how they were to behave. So now verse 28, then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Okay. Now he's to teach them how they should fear the Lord. But yet in verses uh, 29 through 31, it tells us all these people from the nations made their own gods. They set up their false gods. It spoke of the gods that they had. And then in verse 32, it said, so they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nation whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day, they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord. Now, wait a minute. If you're not rightly dividing the word of truth, again, you'll be confused as a, as a termite and a yo-yo. What's he speaking about here? 
He said he went to taught them to fear the Lord. It said, so they feared the Lord. But yet at the same time, he said they feared the Lord. Said they were still making their own false idols. Truly, they weren't. he wasn't speaking of a reverential awe of the Jehovah God. Otherwise, they would have been prone to have cast away those idols and to have worshiped him. But yet they did not. It said, so they feared the Lord. And verse 33 said, they feared the Lord and serve their own gods. And then verse 34, speaking of the same time frame and episode said, they fear not the Lord. Well, what is it? Well, obviously what's under consideration is that that priest went and taught them the actions, the attitudes, and the things you're supposed to say that people that say that fear the Lord, that have a reverential fear of the Lord. In other words, he's teaching them to fake it to act like one that fears the Lord. But also in the same context, it tells us that they feared not the Lord all the while that they were acting as if they feared the Lord. Does that sound familiar? We see a lot of people claiming the name of Christ, but yet they worship the television, they worship politics, or they uh, worship their children, or they worship whatever the matter may be. They talk a good game, but yet their true heart uh, denies it. Let's look at another example of the necessity to rightly divide the word of truth. And we'll go to Jeremiah chapter 30. And we're going to read verses 7 through 9. Hear the prophecy of David being made alive and alive David ruling over the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God that was promised in the Old Testament. Now, we see in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Mind you, my friends, by the time this was prophesied, David had been hundreds of years essentially dead and in the tomb. We find much the same being taught in Ezekiel, uh, chapter 34, we're going to read verses 22 through 24. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between cattle and cattle, and I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. Again, David is dead and he would need to be brought back from the dead for this to take place. We also go over and we're going to read in Ezekiel chapter 37. Again, it's reiterated, verse 24, and David, my servant, shall be king over them and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. The last reference to this we'll read is Hosea chapter three, verse five. Again, a prophecy of the coming kingdom of the Lord. And he says, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Obviously, the David under consideration is one who is alive, one who is able to lead, one who is able to rule and live among them. Now, knowing that while these prophecies were given, David was long in the tomb, many people have said, well, this is going to take place in a millennial kingdom. That means the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth, set up a kingdom with a throne, and he is going to resurrect David and have David sit upon that throne. Although that in itself will not reconcile with, uh, you know, many people will say, well, it's going to be Jesus sitting upon the throne. And obviously, if there's a throne to be had, Jesus would be sitting upon it, especially if he's here. 
But I deny for you, I deny to you today that that millennial reign uh, being spoken of is a scriptural reality. We do not see that taught in the word of God, although we do see here that David will be alive and be leading. How do we reconcile that? It becomes especially cumbersome and difficult uh, thinking that it's going to be literally the resurrected King David that is going to be leading on this kingdom and sitting upon the throne. When you look at the prophecy as it was given unto King David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, notice the wording here. We'll begin reading verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Notice this now. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Notice this kingdom is going to be established and this seed of David is going to be exalted to the throne, but it's only going to be, my friends, while David is dead. Notice, and when thy days be fulfilled, which means all of your days have been lived, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, which means you'll be dead, and in the tomb, and your soul and spirit with the Lord, then he says, I will set up thy seed after thee. How do we reconcile that? The other verses of scripture, people will say, well, that's gonna be in a millennial kingdom. He'll be living, resurrected to live here on earth, the literal King David. But yet the promise and the covenant that the Lord made with David directly that we're reading right here tells us that the reality of this will only be while David is dead. What is the resolution to this enigma? Well, you can find that answer in Acts chapter two and the preaching at the Feast of Pentecost. We'll begin reading with verse 29. Here the apostle Peter preaching says, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Friends, it wasn't talking about David, the earthly David, who was the uh, natural father of Solomon. Uh, no, my friends, we're talking about here Jesus Christ, the greater David. And obviously that must be the fulfillment. See, you must rightly divide the word of truth. Otherwise, you will just live in a constant quandary. Let's look at another instance that highlights this need to rightly divide the word of truth. We go to Matthew chapter 5, the words of Christ. Ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You would have to really go out of your way to misunderstand what Christ is here telling you. Now, obviously, there's no way we can drum up an emotional, fervent love for people that hate us, but yet we can treat them with love, and we can respect them and uh, pray for them as Jesus Christ here is commanded. If we couldn't do that, then he would never have commanded it of us. 
But as always, we must rightly divide because now we go to Psalm 139, this wonderful Psalm of David. And notice here in Psalms 139, uh, we'll begin reading with uh, verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, <clears throat> for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. So here, uh, David is saying, writing of the inspiration of the Spirit of God, yes, I hate them, O Lord, that hate you. Now, how do we reconcile that? Because here, David is saying he hates them with a perfect hatred, and yet Jesus Christ is telling us we're not to hate our enemies, but we are to love them. Well, how do we reconcile that? Well, I'll posit for you today a couple of resolutions. One, maybe David in the Old Testament has been inspired of the Holy Spirit of God to speak this way because we are to hate the sins and the wickednesses of men. Uh, we can hate their actions while at the same time we treat them with love. But I would posit for you, my friends, I believe that we're getting a little glimpse into the uh, saved and born again, but yet at the same time, like as we are, still containing fleshly corruptions uh, in, in David because here he, he gets caught up in this fervor of hating them that hate the Lord, but then he's also inspired immediately of the Holy Spirit to plead unto the Lord, having said that, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe David had some of the same weaknesses and frailties of the flesh that we all have. We love the Lord so much and we are tempted to hate and to rail against those who hate our Lord. But yet, my friends, we must do as David did. Search me, O God. And if we search the word of God and we search our hearts, we'll know that the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter five were true and right, just as they were in the days of David. Our last thing that we will look at today regarding uh, rightly dividing the word of truth and the necessity of it is talking about judgment. Oh, what a sore subject that is in most people's minds. You go to Matthew chapter seven, verse one, and if people can't quote for you John three sixteen, they can certainly quote for you this, judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Now, people love this because they don't like to be judged. They like to have their own brassy, sassy ways, and they don't want anybody uh, showing them anything from the Word of God. They don't want anyone trying to help them and give them counsel and keep them from falling into the pitfalls of the flesh and carnality and disobedience and rebellion. And they'll point to this and say, see, you have no right to judge me. But notice what he tells you here. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Is here Jesus telling us that we are not to use any judgment? Is it possible to go through this life and live more than a few seconds if we refuse to use any judgment, to make any choices, to determine anything, to weigh in the balance in our minds and hearts the things that come before us each and every day? I would say balderdash and poppycock. Because notice, my friends, Jesus here, after saying this, 
He said, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou clearly see to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Here, he he's not saying never judge, never uh, try to counsel your brethren, never try to help them because you don't have the right to judge them. No, he's saying you need to judge with proper judgment. To what is he referring? My friends, the word of God. If the judgment, the counsel that we give unto people is according to the word of God, then my friends, we are negligent if in the right uh, framework and in the right setting with the right spirit, we're, in the, we're negligent if we don't try to help them along in their life in the name of Christ. Notice the words of Christ in Luke chapter 12, verses 56 and 57. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern the time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? Here Jesus is condemning them for not judging. And from the Greek, that word is krino. When we look in Acts chapter 25, uh, verse 10, here in his conversation with Festus, we read in verse 10, the apostle Paul, then said, Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. I ought to be crino, or I ought to be judged. My friends, if it was wrong for judgment to take place, then the apostle Paul was wrong in his statement here, but he was not wrong because civil authority has right to judge. Again, we see the concept of crino or judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. Here Paul says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Here he's saying spiritual minded people have the ability and should be able to judge according to the mind of Christ. Our last scripture today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 12 through 13. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? Crino, to judge. But them that are without, God judgeth. Wherefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Sounds to me like the Apostle Paul is saying, use spiritual judgment and execute judgment. There is someone who's causing trouble, and you put them out of the fellowship of the church. Why? Turn them over uh, to the world for the destruction of the flesh that they might learn not to blaspheme. If their church membership and devotion and fellowship with the Lord's people means anything, then hopefully they'll be drawn back and be restored and they'll grow in grace and in knowledge through that. But my friends, that requires judgment. Again, these are just a few of the multiple, multiple, multiple examples in the scriptures that we could go to that teach us that we must rightly divide the word of truth. Now, next time we're going to discuss something much more significant, and that's the doctrine of salvation and its importance when we're talking about rightly dividing the word of truth. Oh, certainly when we're talking about salvation, we need to rightly divide. Amen. So hopefully next time we'll be able to speak to you on these subjects. And until then, may the Lord's special blessings be upon you all.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the mass of